Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 25 of Jeremiah chapter 50, and we're going to be reading verse 42. Jeremiah 50 verse 42 says, They shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea, and they shall ride upon horses, everyone put in array, like a man to the battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. Now we were looking at the first part of this verse In our last study, and we saw that holding the bow and the lance um, relates to uh, weapons of battle. And then we spent most of the study looking at the next phrase, they are cruel and will not show mercy. And there's a couple of verses. One was in Proverbs that says that the the day of wrath is cruel. And another in Isaiah chapter 13, in Isaiah 13, that says in verse 9, Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. And and so that's why God's people, who are the ones in view here, are said to be cruel, because it is judgment day, and judgment day is a day of wrath, and wrath is cruel. God is no longer saving people as he did throughout history, throughout the day of salvation. Now comes the time when the door of heaven is shut, and the light of the gospel is put out, and it's a cruel thing. And the cruelty is explained when it says, and will not show mercy. The Lord is no longer uh, extending mercy to sinners. He is uh, finished with that. He has completed his salvation program. And, and therefore, all sinners will stay in their sin. There will be no more salvation. And, and, and God uh, recognizes that it, this is a cruel thing. This is why Judgment Day is said to be an evil day. And when when such a horrible thing comes upon mankind, it is an evil thing. It is a cruel thing. It's not unjust, but it's harsh. It, it's severe. And uh, in, in the sense that God had um, bestowed grace and, and was such a merciful God, that his mercy was available to all those predestinated unto salvation from the foundation of the world. And and therefore it was available to the world until all of those elect people were found and saved. But now since they are found, his mercy is no longer available in the sense of salvation. And God still has general mercies for men as we live each day, but concerning that particular work of salvation, it, it there is no more. And 
And so, since God is no longer showing mercy, the people of God that remain on the earth living in the day of judgment, likewise are not able to show mercy. We can only um, show forth what God would would allow us and, and give to us. And as we share the word of God, it is um, just teaching what what God has done. And since, uh, again, his salvation has concluded, well, we can't go beyond that. We, we cannot give people mercy. We, it's not within us. Even if we might desire it ourselves. we, we simply cannot do it. Well, then it goes on to say, their voice shall roar like the sea, and they shall ride upon horses. Everyone put in array like a man to the battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. And again, this is continuing to speak of the people of God. And we see in the last part of the verse where it speaks of them upon horses and and put in array like a man to the battle against Babylon, that this fits many scriptures that speak of Christ, uh, for instance, on a white horse in Revelation 19, and all the saints with him likewise on horses, as God judges the world with his people. So we, we can see how this language fits. But uh, let's let's look at this one phrase, their voice shall roar like the sea. Now the Hebrew word translated as roar is Strong's number 1993. And we'll just look at a couple of places that it's found. One is in Psalm 55, Psalm 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray, and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. The um, two words, cry aloud, is a translation of Strong's number 1993, this Hebrew word translated uh, as roar, and uh, it it is showing us that, since it has to do with prayer here, um, that that it is lifting up, uh, a voice lifting up words um, unto God in that case, but but um, let's look at another place in Psalm 46. Psalm 46, and I'll read the first three verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. And in verse 3, the word roar is the same word that we find in Jeremiah 50, verse 42. Their voice shall roar like the sea. Now, it's very interesting here um, what causes the sea to roar is the mountains being carried into the midst of the sea. And uh, we, we, of course, when you um, drop a, a huge mountain into the sea, the water will be dispersed. It'll begin uh, to be tumultuous and troubled and rise. 
And, and that's what verse 3 is saying. Right after the mountains be carried into the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. It, it is the action of the mounting entering the sea that uh, is, is causing the waters to roar and be troubled. And uh, this is significant because of what God says of mountains um, elsewhere. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on Psalm 46, at least in this study, maybe another, I don't know. But we're going to spend a little time here because let me read some of the other verses in this psalm. In verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Jehovah of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. And there's statements in this psalm that identify with judgment day. It actually is a psalm that um, is very encouraging to the people of God concerning this time that we're living in. Uh, just look at verse 1 again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And what is the number one thing that's going on in every believer's life today? And, and I don't care who they are, if they're a true child of God, uh, if if they have become saved, um, it, it is certain what is going on is trouble because God is trying us. He is severely testing each um, one that that he has saved. He's and even many that profess to be saved. He's bringing all through the fire to see whether they're gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, stubble. Or another way the Bible puts it is he has built his house and now he brings a storm against it to see if it they are truly a part of his house, if they have that firm foundation of the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so the storm is blasting the house of God that is made up of living stones. Again, trying the foundation. And if the the house stands, if the living stones remain a part of that structure at the end, well, then the foundation gets the glory. It's because it was built upon a rock. And if the identical storm knocks down the house and destroys the house, well, it's because of their foundation. They did not have the proper foundation of salvation in the Lord Jesus. They they built upon the earth something else, some other um, God, some other salvation plan. And so God gets the glory through the trying of his people as he will bring them through this period of time until the end. And and no matter how you look at it, that spells trouble for the children of God. 
And God says here, He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now the uh, Hebrew word translated as refuge is 4268. And it's, it's found in, um, in many places and it's, uh, uh, well, it's really a word that is, uh, very, uh, comforting and helpful to the believer. So let's look at several of the places where it's found. Beginning in Psalm 61. Psalm 61 and verses 1 through 3. Psalm 61 verse 1. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. The word shelter is the same word translated as refuge in Psalm 46. Also, in Psalm 62, it says in verse 7, In God is my salvation, and my glory the rock of my strength, and my refuge. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah, and and the word refuge in these two verses is the same word as in our verse. Now there's an, another place that's found in Jeremiah 17. And then we're going to come back to the Psalms again. But in Jeremiah chapter 17, it says in verse 17, Be not a terror unto me, thou art my hope in the day of evil. The word hope is uh, uh, the translation of the same Hebrew word. Thou art my refuge in the day of evil. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the day of evil is judgment day. God's people continue to hope in him and in, in his word, the Bible. And this is our place of refuge. This is where... We flee to, to the, the word of God. Now let's go back to the Psalms and turn to Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 really, uh, is an amazing Psalm that has a great deal also to say about the day of judgment. And I'm going to read, uh, the first nine verses of Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of Jehovah, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. Now, uh, just like the comment that we have entered spiritually into the night because the work day, the 12-hour day in which God was actively saving has ended, and the night has come in which no man can work. That is, the Lord Jesus is that man who is no longer performing the work 
of salvation. As John 6.29 says, this is the work of God that ye believe. Well, Christ is not performing that work any longer. And, and, and so here it says in Psalm 91.5, thou shall not be afraid for the terror by night. That is, as God has done these things, the people of God are, are not, um, afraid that the door of heaven is shut. It, it, what God has done, we realize, will not harm the true believer. We, we have sorrow. Uh, we would want that, um, the door of salvation remain open for our friends, family, even our enemies. We wouldn't want that to happen to anyone. Yet for ourself, there is no fear. Even um, for for one of God's elect whom, whom God has saved and yet may have some doubts about their salvation, there, there is a sense that, well, um, having had mercy, have mercy. The true believer would continue to uh, pray and trust God uh, for that hope. And, and there is just not the same fear. When the unsaved hear that the door is shut, oh, they, they, they react and, and they respond in anger and wrath because I think deep down there is a fear of that kind of idea. But, but the child of God is not afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, in verse six, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Now, the pestilence that walketh in darkness, as the day of God's wrath uh, is likened to the pouring out of plagues. And on May 21, 2011, the tribulation ended, and immediately after the tribulation, the sun was darkened and the moon is not giving its light and, and the stars fall. And those are the celestial lights that lighten the heaven, but they typify the light of the gospel. And, and therefore the world has entered into a thick darkness and, and the pestilence walks in darkness. Well, the, the true believers are not afraid for the, the terror by night, nor for this pestilence that comes in this darkness. And then in verse 7, a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Now, uh, it's interesting that these numbers are given. A thousand is ten times ten times ten. And it points to completeness. And it, it has to do with all of the unsaved. Since they're falling at our side, it's the complete number of all the unsaved. And to make sure we, we, um, understand that, it's the next phrase says, and ten thousand at thy right hand. Ten thousand is ten times ten times ten times ten. And and it also points and emphasizes the completeness of those that are falling at our right hand. 
And what is the right hand of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Also the right hand of the people of God. It is a designation that points to Christ, the judge. And and so uh, the unsaved fall under the condemnation of the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the day of judgment, but not the true believer. And uh, this is really stunning in its accuracy when we look at the situation we have today. We have God's people, the true believers, who number in the tens of millions, a great multitude that, that cannot be numbered, and, but they're scattered across the face of the earth and far outnumbered by the unsafe people that inhabit the earth. But all are together, the, the believer, the true believer, and the unbeliever in heart are all together. And, and God is pouring out his wrath upon the unbeliever, upon the wicked, all over the face of the earth. And the believer is right there as God is pouring out his wrath upon people within the believer's own family. Or he's pouring out his wrath upon the neighbors of the believer all around him. And and when that child of God goes to work, God is pouring out his wrath upon his, his co-workers all those that are at his side and all those at the right hand and and yet not upon the child of God himself or herself because that uh, they've been saved. Their sins were already paid for in Christ from the foundation of the world. Uh, even though since they are on the earth, and, and living in this time period, God is indicating from his word that they are appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. That is, it's being made manifest that they are before his judgment seat, but they're not paying for sin. They're not being punished in that sense. And, and, and so they're enduring. It, it, it's a trying period. It's the most difficult of times and their faith is being severely tested and tried, but the Lord's people continue on enduring the storm, enduring, uh, this tumultuous period and it, it is not coming nigh them. Isn't that incredible here? is the child of God walking and a thousand fall at his side, ten thousand at his right hand, at, at thy right hand, excuse me, the right hand of God. And that is the completeness of everyone around them. All of their enemies, all of the wicked are falling under the condemnation of the wrath of God and being destroyed. They they actually were destroyed as soon as God shut the door of heaven. It's just a matter of working it out over the course of these days until that that final day. And 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 yet it shall not come nigh thee. 
Remember that verse in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And let me read the second verse. And then we're going to come back to Psalm 91. In in Psalm 46, in verse 2, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, we will not fear, as it says here, even though the earth is being removed and and the mountains are being cast into the sea, which points to judgment day, the the the, the day the Bible has spoken of um, uh, throughout all time has finally come. And yet the people of God will not fear. Just as it says here in Psalm 91, 5, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the pestilence. And, and, uh, and also when these thousand are falling and ten thousand are falling, Everyone, everyone, without exception, uh, who is unsaved, all around us are falling. It's extremely um, tragic, and 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 we we might be cast down in sorrow, considering that uh, the impact upon our own families and those we know. Uh, there, there's certainly nothing pleasant about it. Yet, uh, it is not coming to us. Uh, we, we could think of the land of Egypt when God was bringing the plagues and he brought the plague of darkness, that thick darkness that continued for three days, I think, over the whole land of Egypt. And, and yet he says the Israelites had light in their dwellings so that that plague which was all around them, and and none of the Egyptians could escape it. Yet the Israelites escaped it. They had light in their dwellings. And, and that's what God is saying about this terrible time that God's people are living in. And then Psalm 91, verse 8, Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made Jehovah, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. And there's the word refuge again. God's people are not um, destroyed by his wrath, uh, even though everyone all around them, now uh, let's not um, miss the significance of that. Where are the people of God? As Psalm 91 describes it, are they in the heavens? Are, are they, um, um, removed from the earth? No. They're right there. This is happening all around them. People are falling at their side, at their right hand. The, um, it, it's just not coming nigh them. And, and they are able to see with their own eyes the reward of the wicked. And again, here is a Bible verse 
fulfilled. A scripture prophecy that prophesied of the wrath of God, of the, the horrible, uh, final end of mankind fulfilled in our time at this time. We can look around and, and we can see with our eyes of faith, our eyes of understanding, and we can see what what has happened, what has come upon the world, and we see the reward, the payment for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and and God has made payment. Uh, again, uh, when Judgment Day came, when the tribulation concluded, the world entered into a period of death and hell. That is the characteristic of these days after the tribulation. And that is making payment. It, it is um, the law of God uh, uh, giving to the sinners that have offended it. Um, the wage, the wages of sin is death. And, and this is the reward of the wicked. In Psalm 37, we read in, in that great Psalm, verse 34, which says, Wait on Jehovah and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. And, and that's another way of putting it. God cut off the unsaved people of the earth from his salvation program. He uh, ended it and cut it off, and, and that guaranteed the destruction of everyone that had not yet become saved. Well, uh, let's just look at one more verse for refuge in Joel chapter 3. In Joel 3, I'll start reading in verse 12. Joel 3.12 says, Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. And the word heathen is a translation of the word that's, that's often translated as nations. God will sit to judge all the nations round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come. Get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. And this identifies with Revelation 14. The, the Son of Man is upon a cloud, and, and the sickle is put into the earth. Uh, we, we read from verses 14 through 20 again and again. And then we, we read of the wine press, and that's what the fats uh, is referring to here. The press is full. The fats overflow. The the wine press overflows in Revelation 14, and the blood comes out and and flows forth for the space of 1600 furlongs. So, uh, it, without any question, all this relates to Judgment Day, the final judgment. Multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision, and this word decision is translated as threshing in Isaiah 28, 27, which would relate to harvest being the end of the world and judgment. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of threshing 
for the day of Jehovah is near in the valley of of threshing. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And right away, what do we know? Oh, it's immediately after the tribulation, because that's exactly what Matthew twenty four twenty nine says. And then in verse 16, Jehovah also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but Jehovah will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Now again, the Hebrew word that's translated as refuge, uh, 4268 in Psalm 46.1, is here translated as hope. Jehovah will be the refuge of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Now, we cannot miss the context. It It, it is describing uh, each verse, verse 12, verse 13, 14, 15, is describing Judgment Day. And then verse 16, it speaks of Jehovah roaring out of Zion and uttering his voice from Jerusalem. That would have to be, uh, that would be related to the word of God. That's the voice of God that comes forth from the people of God who are spiritually the new Jerusalem as all the elect have been gathered together. The heavens and the earth shall shake. Again, language of judgment day. But Jehovah will be the hope of his people or the refuge of his people. In the context of Judgment Day, uh, you know there there just um, comes a point where where so many scriptures begin to uh, add up together, and uh, and there must be a recognition of what the Bible says on a certain point when when that begins to happen, and we've seen, for instance. In Isaiah 24, let me turn there. In Isaiah 24, which is the chapter in so many verses that God speaks of judging the earth, and there's no way it has anything to do but with God's judgment on this world. And I I say that because um, uh, people, some people want uh, the verses that describe the wrath of God in the day of judgment to apply only to the church. They they keep trying to say, oh, that, that refers to the church, the church, the church. And in that way, they're throwing the judgment off of the world where they are, and they're placing it over there in the church where they are not. They're comfortable with that idea. Yes, God is judging just the two billion within the church, not the place where the seven billion reside and where... Uh, the individual also happens to resign. Well, you can't do that with Isaiah 24 because when you read it, you find, uh, for instance, in, in verse 4, the earth mourneth and fadeth away, the world languisheth and fadeth away, the haughty people of the earth do languish. Verse 5, the earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. In Verse 6, therefore has the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. 
Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. Now, in those three verses, how many times did, did we read earth or world? Earth, earth, earth. And that continues throughout the rest of the chapter. Not Jerusalem or Judah or, or anything to do with Israel of old that could point to the church, but the earth, the earth. Well, the earth, uh, the inhabitants of the earth are burned. They're burned, which indicates fire, which identifies with God, who is a consuming fire in the day of his wrath. And he pours out his wrath, his fire, upon the inhabitants of the earth. Therefore, they are burned, which fits completely with the context of Isaiah 24. But what does not fit with the teaching, the historic teaching of theologians, the historic teaching of churches, with even our own previous understanding, is why few men are left. As it says in verse 6, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. And is a conjunction that joins together two phrases, two ideas. And it's joining together the inhabitants that are burned in the earth with a few men that are also in the earth, yet they are left. They they are not burned up. They survive. They they will remain. They will endure to the end and come through the fire as gold and silver and precious stones purified. And why few men? Because the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. It is none other but God's elect people that are on the earth living in the day of judgment. As Revelation 14 um, plainly declares, it says in Revelation 14, in verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And immediately we have to ask the question, what are they doing there? Here in this place where God has uh, just begun to describe, he's pouring out his wrath into a cup of indignation. There's fire and brimstone upon those that have the mark of the beast and all those in the world, we read in Revelation 13.8, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, will worship the beast, receive that mark, and, and they're all drinking the cup of the wrath of God, but here, here in, in that time, in that place, and none other 
is the few men, or, or here are the patience of the saints. They are keeping the commandments of God, and only God's people do that from the heart that he has given them. It, it, how can it be missed? How can anyone say that the Lord's people will not be living on the earth when the Bible says, and, and have you ever thought why God uses this terminology in First Thessalonians 4? He says in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And also back in verse 15, it it had the same phrase, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Why, Why that particular way of putting it? Alive and remain. Few men left. If you're left, you remain. And, and you see, we, we have much more of the picture now. We have the plan of God concerning leaving His people, not rapturing them once judgment began, but leaving them in the world to go through this period of time. As 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear or be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, you say, that's talking about the wicked, not not the true believers, is it? Let's, let's go over to 2 Corinthians 5. And now please follow along, follow along in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Twice in that verse we found the word we. We know that if our earthly house or our body were dissolved, we have a building of God in heaven. And therefore the personal pronoun, the plural personal pronoun we, refers to God's elect. Only God's elect. The the unbeliever doesn't know these things. They they do not have confidence in that at all. Verse two for in this we groan and and play pay close attention to the the plural uh, pronoun we for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven and again, R is the plural. And, and in both cases, true believers are groaning to be clothed. Believe me, the unsaved aren't, um, aren't, uh, greatly desiring to go to heaven anytime soon. Verse three, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. True believers are in view with that personal pronoun. Verse 4, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Go through it. You'll see only uh, true believers can be referred to by the plural pronoun we. Verse 5, 
Now he that has wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also has given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, who receives the earnest of the Spirit, only the elect. Therefore we are always confident, true believers, knowing that whilst we are at home in a body, we are absent from the Lord. Again, the language can only refer to true believers. Verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Does the world walk by faith? Of course not. Verse 8, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We, 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 in every case, true believers. Verse 9, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Is the a person in their sins laboring to be accepted of God? No, the true believer. And then verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, every instance, and there were several of them, in the previous nine verses, the personal pronoun, plural, we referred to God's elect. Every case, every instance, without exception. And then we come to verse 10. We, the same personal plural pronoun referring to the same group of people. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. God is declaring it plainly. And here we are, living on the earth in the day of judgment. And and uh, yet, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Uh, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains cast into the sea. And we'll not be afraid for the terror by night. We'll not be afraid when a thousand fall at our side or ten thousand at thy right hand. In First uh, John chapter 4, it says in verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect. Now, what is love? Is, is it a sentimental feeling? Well, uh, of course there can be feeling, but that is not the biblical definition of love. The Bible's definition of love is action. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, the true believers, the true believers are left on the earth in the day of judgment, as Revelation 14 said, in the context of the wrath of God. In verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus. To keep the commandments is a display of love. If you love me, keep my commandments. God's people are showing forth the love of God while they go through this uh, awful time period. And we read in 1 John four seventeen: Here is our love made perfect. It, it, you see, we will... Uh, by the end of this time period, we will have done the will of God again in a in a different task of uh, feeding his sheep, of trusting him, 
and of faithfully waiting upon him to fulfill all righteousness, to complete his judgment program, and love will have been perfected, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, is that just a coincidence? Is that just something that God threw together uh, you know, uh, as he throws Bible verses together, he just throws words out there, right, that have no purpose or meaning. That that uh, when you listen to some people uh, teach the Bible, you would think that, but that is not the God who's the author of this glorious book, this holy word, the Bible. God designs his word. It It is... Uh, from his brilliant mind. And in this verse, he puts fo- together the day of judgment and the people of God in this world. Do you notice that? We have boldness. Who? We again. That personal plural pronoun the, that, that speaks of the people of God appearing before his judgment seat. But we do so with boldness. We have boldness in the day of judgment because it will not come nigh the child of God. Though all around us it is happening and, and, and certainly it affects us and, and we could cry, uh, a great deal for those people we love that are suffering and and we can see it they maybe don't see it but the child of god sees it and and yes we have sorrow concerning that but for ourselves no there's a confidence there's a boldness we know it will not come nigh us god is our refuge he will protect us and he is our help in this evil time. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.